Thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication. I'm so grateful for each of you being here this morning and count it an honor just to stand before you and open up the Word of God with you. It's an exciting thing for a child of God to do. And uh, I invite you, first of all, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And we'll be looking at other passages, but that'll be our primary text for today. Last week, Tim did a great job, I think, in expounding uh, in, on the gene- genealogy of Jesus Christ as is given in Matthew chapter 1. And I hope you were paying attention because in that message he helped us to understand the scope of God's redemptive plan uh, as embodied in the promise of Abraham that we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, as Tim was walking us through the genealogy, he reminded us of the importance uh, of certain Uh, key Gentile women, unlikely characters to be found in the genealogy of the Son of God. Yet again, they were providentially woven by God into the fabric of of the genealogy of of our Lord. And, And how fitting, when you think about God's redemptive plan, it is a plan for all people groups. It's not just for the Jews. God's plan for redeeming lost humanity was not just for the Jews. If you recall in that promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation of Abraham. But he said also in you, speaking of Abraham, who was a man of faith, he says in you all the peoples of the earth will be uh, blessed. And so it is that kind of a plan that God is, is orchestrating. And today as we as, we, as I walk you through the last chapter of this wonderful little book of, of Ruth, we're going to be uh, looking at yet, we're going to look from, from yet another perspective. Uh, there's genealogy in this last chapter. It's important and we'll touch on that. But, but also, all through the, the, this beautiful little love story nestled in there between Judges and 1 Samuel is, is a beautiful theme about a kinsman redeemer. And so, uh, in fact, one of the key characters of the story of Ruth, in fact, I'll call him the hero, uh, if you will. He is the godly, compassionate, and, and wise, and respected Boaz. Because, you see, his pivotal role in the story was to play the role of kinsman redeemer to Ruth and to Naomi. And in accordance to the uh, Mosaic law, Boaz, as a close relative of these two women, um, Naomi and, and, and Ruth, who were both widows, uh, just back from the country of Moab, so they're trying to make a life, uh, you know, and, and for people in that culture, in that, that ancient culture, one of the worst plights in life would be to be a widow and have no uh, family, particularly not to have a husband, not to have uh, sons to, to take care of you and to carry on the family name. And so uh, here, Boaz was a close relative of Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech. And so he emerges, you see him beginning to emerge from chapter 2 on, he emerges as this great kinsman redeemer who is going to bring hope back into their lives again both Naomi and for Ruth and that's what we'll see today but but also 
along with that, paralleling with the role of, of, of Boaz as the kinsman redeemer for these two widow women, is also the portrayal. The, uh, I guess you would say that Boaz is a, is a spiritual type of the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What you see in Boaz is we look at this man and we look at the wonderful characteristics of this man and the positive traits that just makes him so winsome and the kind of a man that you, know, you just want to honor and respect. He, he's just a small type, if you will, of the ultimate kinsman redeemer because all of us, all of us, whether you know it or not, and I certainly believe that, that the majority of the people here in this congregation today realize that there was a time when we were walking in this world in a very dismal, miserable plight. We were lost. We were separated, alienated from God. The Bible tells us, Paul says there in Colossians chapter 1, we were enemies of God by the thoughts that were in our minds and the actions that we did. And so therefore, we were, we were in a very difficult, dismal predicament. We needed, we needed someone who could bring life back into our lives, that could bring hope back into our situations, who could redeem us from the awful, terrible, eternal penalty of the wrathful judgment of God. Oh, if ever... We needed a redeemer. If we needed a kinsman redeemer, we needed it when we were lost. And Jesus Christ is the absolute fulfillment of what Boaz portrays in this beautiful book. Now, before we jump into chapter 4, I'll ask you to hold your place there. Go with me back towards the back of the Bible. Because in your worship guides this morning, in Hebrews chapter 2... I extracted this portion of God's Word from chapter 2 to help you to see how Jesus is indeed our kinsman redeemer. No other entity, no other personality, no other power, no other person, no one in all of creation, in all of eternity could fit the bill of being our kinsman redeemer. Just like there were only a very, very few people in all of Judah who could fit the bill of being the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. Listen, there's only one who could possibly be our kinsman redeemer and redeem us from the terrible plight of our sin. So, in, Je in Hebrews chapter 2, and, and by the way, I, 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 I'm sorry just to stop here, but I know some of you requested uh, copies of the sermon outline, and I just want to remind you, those are out on the information desk in case you're trying to take notes and, and maybe don't get all the scripture references. They're out there for those that requested them, so you can pick those up if you haven't already. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, look with me. Now keep in mind, Jesus Christ... And how he is related to us. You see, a kinsman, the Redeemer, has to be a relative. A kinsman. But also, he has to have the ability to redeem you from the situation you're in. So in chapter 2, verse 11, For both he who sanctifies, and that's Christ, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them, what? Brethren. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus 
uh, spoke in verse 40, he says, when you do these things, talking about going to visit people in jail or giving water to those who are thirsty or feeding the hungry or clothing those who are naked, he says, when you do this to these who are the least of those, my brethren, Jesus is not afraid to call his people brothers and sisters. And by the way, ladies, when I use brethren, I'm not excluding the women. Just use your imagination. You just plug in sister in too, okay? So, it's brothers and sisters, okay? All right. In verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise, uh, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will, and he's quoting various prophets, prophecies in the Psalms there. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am, or here am I, and the children whom God has given to me. Verse 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's us, he himself, Christ, likewise shared in the same. In other words, he became flesh and blood, just as you and I, so that he could identify with us. He himself Likewise, shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. In other words, Jesus didn't come to be a kinsman redeemer for angels or heavenly host or any other of all of creation. He only came to be a kinsman redeemer for those who were his people. And, and so, for indeed, verse 16, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And let me qualify there. Descendants of Abraham, not necessarily those who are biological descendants of Abra the man Abraham. Not necessary that you are a, a, a Jew biologically. It's simply those who are a people of, that share the faith of Abraham. We are all a part of the family of Abraham in that sense. Verse 17, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become a part of the family, if you will, the family of humanity. He had to become flesh and blood, take on the likeness of man to be able to pay the price for our sins, which is propitiation, to satisfy, to appease the anger, the wrath, the judgment of God towards us. Verse 18. And in that, he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, we have a great and a glorious and a perfect kinsman redeemer who knows us, who is related to all of us, and who loves us and did demonstrate the depth of that love through giving his life. So the first thing I want you to see, I want, I want us to see three things about the kinsman redeemers, plural, Boaz as a type, Christ as a fulfillment. The first thing I want us to see as we walk through uh, the rest of the book of Ruth is number one, the kinsman redeemers attraction. The kinsman redeemers attraction. And then we'll look at the kinsman redeemers action. And finally, we'll look at the kinsman redeemer's accomplishment. So first of all, let's talk about the kinsman redeemer's attraction. That which attracts 
the kinsman redeemer to the person who is the victim, if you will. For Boaz, it was his love for an unlikely widow. And of course, we've all fallen in love with her, haven't we? We love little Ruthie, that cute Moabitess, and how she has won the heart of the people of Bethlehem and all the region of Judah and everyone knows about her. And not, not only that, more importantly, she's captured the attentions of Boaz, a very prominent citizen of the area. Hey, listen, Ruth came from, Bo from, Moab, from Moab, which strikes against her. You're talking about an unlikely character that God would work through. You had a woman who was, number one, a widow, Number two, she was barren. She had not been able to bear children to her previous husband or to her husband and carry on the family line. And then if that wasn't bad enough, she was a Moabite. They were, you know, arch enemies of the Israelites. And Israelites didn't like them. They didn't respect them. They were enemies. So strike one, strike two, strike three. And yet God had a plan for her life. A plan that would factor into his overall eternal redemptive plan. As we saw in the genealogy passage, as, as Tim pointed out last week. Boaz is, God, first of all, understand, providentially, God is at work. God's behind the scene. None of this is happening by coincidence. It's not one of those Hollywood scenarios where somebody sees somebody and all those stars and fireworks go off in the brain, you know, and love at first sight and, and you know, kind of like you find in a Hallmark movie. And, and, and I'm so glad we're beyond Christmas. Hallelujah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's nothing like, it's not coincidence. It's providence. God is orchestrating. He's made sure that Ruth has come back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to the very region, not just to Judah, but to the very town where the Savior of the world would be born. God's working a plan. God's the one who works in the heart of this respectable, prominent citizen of Bethlehem by the name of Boaz. God leads Boaz to see the potential in this godly woman. It's God that's opening up his spiritual eyes, if you will. Before we jump into chapter 4, if I just take you back briefly, you remember the scene as we covered chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 10. You remember when Boaz first met Ruth out there and was, he was extending favors to her and said, look, look, look here, sister. You stay right here in my field. You don't have to go to anybody else's field. And listen, you don't have to worry about the young men messing with you and molesting you. I've already talked to them. I got you covered. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. And, and even when they come and have their nice cool water to drink, you don't go out there and drink out of a mud hole. You drink right out of their, their, their cups as well. And look at Ruth's response in chapter 2, verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She was shocked. She was blown away. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Boaz lets her know, I've had my eye on you. God's revealed some things to me about you. You are quality woman. What is it that attracts 
Christ to us. Well, before you try to think that, that there was anything that we have, number one, we were unattractive. Ladies and gentlemen, you understand? There's nothing about us in the lostness and the rebellion and, and the depravity of our sinfulness and separation from God. There was, there is nothing. Our, no merit about us that could possibly attract us or attract Jesus to us. Now before I totally deflate you, I just want you to understand. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've earned. There was absolutely nothing about us other than this. Christ was attracted to us by the divine love of God for unworthy sinners. For God so loved the world. Not righteous people, not religious people, not people who are puffed up with pride. God loved a lost and wretched, rebellious, depraved, hell-bound world. But you see, in the midst of the lostness, Almighty God who knows all and sees all, He saw the potential within lost sinners like Charlie Martin to realize that from eternity past, He had chosen me. He saw the potential. He sees the potential in every person that He has elected to be a part of His eternal family, His eternal kingdom. And it was that wonderful, divine, sovereign love that attracts God to us. And it was that divine love that sent His Son into this world. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates His love towards us even while we're sinners. Do you understand that? Even when we're sinners, Christ died for us 2,000 years ago on a rugged cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem. The very precious, darling Son of God shed His sinless, precious, atoning blood for a wretched, rebellious, ignorant, lost sinner called Charlie Martin. And He died for you too. He's attracted to us by His love. I love Jesus' pastoral prayer. You've probably read it a number of times in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Jesus is praying to the Father prior to His own arrest and crucifixion. You know what? Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for my own. <laughs> God so loved the world. And God does love the world. God's gracious towards the world. Everybody that's a sinner is, is actually uh, condemned to hell. If people get what they deserve, they could, the minute they're born, God could send them immediately to hell. But God loves, in a redemptive way, those whom He has chosen. And Jesus, in that beautiful pastoral prayer in John 17, verse 24, and this is just a portion of it, He listened to His heart. He says, Father, I desire that they, speaking of his disciples, those who are his own, his brothers, and the ladies, the sisters who were followers of Christ. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I go or where I am. 
that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these, speaking of believers, and these have known that you have sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying for his own interceding for them because He has chosen them. He's attracted to those who have been selected by God from before the dawn of mankind's history. You know, God is always scanning the earth. The Bible tells us He's looking for those who are marked by His divine selection. All the way back in the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. The eyes of God have been scanning the globe since the very beginning of humanity's time on this earth from the fall of Adam and Eve there in the garden when they were cast out of that garden and the curse of sin settled upon the world. God was scanning the earth at a time in Genesis chapter 6 when all of humanity was wicked and rebellious and depraved and, 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 and nauseous to God. He scanned the earth and He found one faithful man by the name of Noah. And saved him and his family. Oh, the eyes of God scanned the earth at a time in the wickedness and paganism was spreading all over the earth. God was scanning the earth and his divine eye fell upon a man by the name of Abram. And God saw in that pagan the potential to be a great follower of the Jehovah God. A man who could become a father of a great nation that would carry forth the redemptive plan that God had for. Oh, listen, the eyes of God have constantly been scanning the globe. He found a faithful man by the name of Mo Moses on the backside of the de de uh, desert and he would lead God's people. He found men like Moses and Joshua. Do you understand? in the darkness of a pagan country by the name of Moab who were followers of false dead gods the eyes of almighty God saw a little pearl shining God saw in the heart of a little Moabite princess by the name of Ruth and he says that's the one I'm going to use to carry on my great plan let me tell you something don't get puffed up because you're a Christian because you're redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ it wasn't you out there seeking God he sought you that's what Jesus said in John 15 16 what he told his disciples one of my favorite stories that I think greatly illustrates that is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. The kids love it because they like to sing about Zacchaeus climbing up that sycamore tree. And you know the story how Jesus was, uh, the Scripture says, the writer of the Gospel says that Jesus was just passing through Jericho. He didn't have plans to park there. It didn't look like it anyway. If you'd asked the disciples, what's the itinerary of the Lord? Yeah, he's not going to stay here. There's no fancy hotels here. He's passing on through. He's just going to wave at a few folks. Folks, that's not the truth. 
Because the eyes of the Lord were scanning the town of, 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 of Jericho, and there was a little short guy. I'm kind of partial to the down-to-earth people. And you know, there was a little short guy by the name of Zacchaeus, and the crowd had gathered along the parade route where Jesus was coming. And it says that Zacchaeus was having trouble seeing the Lord. But God, praise God, the Lord wasn't having any trouble seeing Zacchaeus. He would have found Zacchaeus if he was hiding in a trash can that day, ladies and gentlemen, because the divine eyes will fall upon whom he pleases, where he pleases. He'll find you. Aren't you glad that he found you? Come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to, house, go to your house today. And you know as I know too, the scripture tells us there in Luke 19, Jesus said salvation has come to this house because God found him. He was attracted to this taxpayer, this, this person of ill repute there in Jericho. But we need to move along because not only is it important to see the, the kinsman redeemer's attraction, but understand the kinsman redeemer's action. What? It's not just what they feel. It's not just what they intend. It's what they do. I like people that will do what they say they're going to do. Don't you? All these people that make these promises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Preacher, I'll get that. Don't you worry, I'll do that. Or you go out there to a salesman, you know, you buy a car or something. Oh, yeah, we're behind you all the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> Drive off the parking lot, the motor falls out, and you come back to this. Oh, oh, you didn't read the fine print in the uh, warranty there. <laughs> no. When it comes to the kinsman redeemer, it's important that we understand his actions. And we see Boaz in chapter 4 is driven by devotion and determination. Boaz acts decisively. You may recall back in chapter 3 when Ruth went out to the threshing floor to meet with Boaz to, to express to him her availability. Okay? She was just coming to remind him. And we remember she was being coached. By Naomi, her mother-in-law. And you always do what your mother-in-law says, right, ladies? So, <coughs> she went out to the threshing floor, and, and basically she laid down, pulled Boaz's cover over her a little bit, and laid at his feet very humbly. He, he was startled. She, he woke up. He said, whoa, who are you? <laughs> she says, I'm Ruth. You're my kinsman. You're my closest kin. Mr. Boaz, I, I just want to make yourself aware that you are the person who is probably the most responsible for me and my humble mother-in-law, Naomi. We, we are absolutely at your mercy. And, and you may recall then chapter 3, verse 12, Boaz says, Now, it, it is true that I am your near kinsman. However, there is a kinsman nearer than I. <clears throat> and I can imagine Ruth's heart just saying, she's thinking, oh no, I, I really like you, Boaz. But, but anyway, but look what he says. He says, now don't just run off. He says, stay, stay here, stay this night, verse 13. And in the morning, it shall be that if he, speaking of the other kinsman, who's a little bit closer in relation to Elimelech, if he will perform the duty of a near kinsman for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not, now listen, listen to what Boaz says. He's a man of his word. He's a kinsman redeemer, man of his word. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. I will do an honorable thing towards you. You can count on it, Ruth. 
Now lay your pretty head down and go to sleep. And don't you worry about it. Now that's not in your translation. I have the expanded Saponi translation. <laughs> lie down until morning. And I believe she did. Now we pick up in chapter 4. The next morning. It says by in verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate. The threshing floor is separated from where the gate of the city is. The gate of the city is where people usually enacted, transacted business or legal matters. It wasn't a courthouse. It was right there as you go into the town at the city gates. And he sat down there. And behold, the near kinsman of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So what I want you to see is Boaz pursues the matter with integrity. He's doing it by the letter of the law. He, he's a man of integrity. He doesn't try to cut corners. He could have just scoffed Ruth up and they had eloped, you know, to the Dead Sea and had a vacation and got married and come back and says, oh, I didn't know there was another kinsman. Ha, huh, my bad. But he's a man of integrity. And it says that he, uh, he, he went there to the town gate and he's following everything according to plan. Look at verse Let's just go verse uh, 1 there. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the near kinsman of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside. In other words, hey, friend, come on over here. Sit down a minute. So he came aside and sat down. In verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. This is what the law required. If you're going to transact some type of a legal matter, you needed to have effective elders, reliable witnesses. So he called ten of the city elders, and he also told them, sit down here. Now that tells me something about the reputation of Boaz. You notice everybody, they don't say, oh, well, I can't, I got, I'm busy, I got to go thresh, I got to go to town. I gotta, you know, not, he said, come sit down. They sat down. They respect, they, when Boaz asked you to do something, okay, and, and so they sat down. Verse 3, then he said to the near kinsman, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, Sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, some translations, English Standard Version, New International Version, says that she's selling. So there's debate about whether Naomi has actually sold it or is selling it. But the thing is, the land that belongs to our family, Boaz is saying, is up for grabs. And, and God's Levitical law required that the land stay in the family. And so he said, we need, to, we need to redeem this property. We need to secure this property in our family. Elimelech's family. Okay? The piece of land which belonged to our brother. Could have been a cousin. Depending on the, how the word is translated. Elimelech. And I thought to inform you saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. <coughs> and if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So he's got it all laid out there. Boaz knows the deal. And the kinsman says, I'll redeem it. Now I can imagine Boaz is thinking, well, what, whoa, Ruth would have been crushed. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was a little disappointed myself. He, he says, okay, I'll buy it. What's the deal? Boaz not only pursues the matter with integrity, but Boaz wisely presents the complete proposal. Oh, he's got it all lined up. Now, this is not just a fly-by-night guy, guy here. Verse 4. 
Boaz, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, Boaz proceeds, okay? Because the kinsman said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day, <laughs> this got the other kinsman's attention. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. Well, wait a minute here. Now you're throwing a twist into the formula there, Boaz. So, so you're telling me that not only do I buy the property and keep the property in our family, but I got a responsibility to take this widow from Moab as my wife, and I got to have children by her to carry on the, the lineage of Elimelech. Now you'll notice a change in the countenance of the other kinsman. Verse 6. And the near kinsman says, I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. <laughs> I got kids. You know what? If I have children by her and then they get the squabbling over who's owned the property and who, oh, it'll be a mess. I can't do that. I thought you just wanted me to buy some land. He says, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself. For I, I cannot redeem it. Boaz probably knew he was going to probably say that. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was an attestation in Israel. In other words, this was just a sign that this is the deal. You agree into the deal. Now we sign contracts. You don't go and buy a house and leave one of your shoes there. Or, you know, or go into Walmart and come out with one shoe or something like that. You know, you sign a credit card slip or you sign a contract or whatever. But in that day, you, you enacted, you, you know, you were saying, in essence, I, I agree with the deal. It, it's, it's important that, that we understand, too. According to the Leverett Law, actually, the kinsman didn't have to marry Ruth. He could still redeem the land. But, but I want you to understand, in, in the sense of the integrity of the, of the whole matter, Boaz is impressing upon his kinsman that you know it's more than a land deal the spirit of the law indicates that the right thing to do is is take care of all the needs of the family yes the land of Elimelech needs to stay in the family but but they need a descendant they need somebody who can carry on the name of Elimelech so to, to truly be a kinsman redeemer, to fulfill all the needs, one of us needs to take root. Now the other guy's already backing out. He's got cold feet real quick. And he said, Boaz, hey, look, look, you do it, okay? Here, here's my sandal. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> and I can see Boaz just kind of putting his hand over his face and kind of smile. And you're like, yes. Because he loves Ruth. And then, verse 9, and Boaz said to the elders, the ten that were sitting around, and to all the people that gathered there, I'm sure this is drawing a crowd by now, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Maclone's from the hand of Naomi. In other words, I'm buying the whole deal. Land and hand and marriage and everything. Moreover, here's the part he's really interested. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Maclone. Now I know y'all have been probably pouring over the scriptures trying to find out which of the two sons Ruth is actually married to. Because it doesn't tell us up until this verse right here. That she's actually the widow of Maclone. 
Now, whether he was the oldest or the most handsome or had the most money, I don't know. You have to go out there and find out. But anyway, I have acquired as my wife. He's making it clear. I'm not just interested in the land. I want the woman. She will be my wife. To raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of, this, of, this, of his place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah. You know that Rachel and Leah were uh, wives of, um, of, of Jacob. And so from, from them came the nation of Israel. They were prominent women, if you will. And the, the two who built the house of Israel and may you prosper in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. And, and, and he was, and he is, by the way. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young man. You may recall that Tamar was a widow. Pastor uh, or Tim pointed this out last week in the message that she tricked her father-in-law into having intercourse with her because his sons refused to carry on the family name and so she ended up having children by her father. So she was without children. Now she had children. I just want you to see this is Boaz is driven by devotion and determination. For you and me, our kinsman redeemer is driven by the will of God. And he was obedient even to death. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, speaking of himself and what he was prompted to do, his actions, Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to be served. I came to serve and to, to be the ransom for many, to give my life for many. In, in, in Philippians chapter 5, we looked at this in our Christian growth groups, but you may recall where Paul is talking about Jesus Christ in chapter 2 of Philippians verse 5. If you want to look there, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. This is the action of Jesus. This is not the heart or the intentions of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Not only that, even the death of a cross. The actions of our Redeemer, our elder brother, is the fact that he was willing to come into this sinful world to humiliate himself from the throne of glory to taking on the form of flesh and blood and relating with lost humanity. And Jesus was willing to pay this price. This is the nature of our kinsman redeemer. I think it's very interesting when we think about Jesus as our elder brother. Scripture says he is. We think about Jesus. He was willing to humble himself that he might become a part of the family of man. He had to come way down to join us to where we are. And in doing so, he made it divinely possible. He exalted you and me 
to be able to make us to become a part of the family of God. Do you see what was going on there? Jesus had to come way down that we might one day be lifted way up, exalted. That's the nature of our kinsman redeemer. When's the last time you celebrated what Christ did for you? When's the last time you fell down before the Lord on your knees before the Lord as Ruth fell down before Boaz as we saw there and said, Lord, what is it? Why, why is it that you would be so good to me? How is it that you would do so much for a wretched, lost sinner, rebellious as I am? When's the last time that you get caught up in the very truth of the Word of God and what your kinsman redeemer has done for you and making you a part of the family of God. Oh, listen, we ought to be like the Gaither Quartet sings that song. I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. It never would have happened had my kinsman redeemer chosen to stay in heaven in the midst of the glory and the splendor and the power of heaven. He had to come down. He had to humiliate himself. He had to die. Not just die, but die a criminal's death on a cross. It was through His divine incarnation. It was through His substitutionary atonement on that cross. It was through His glorious resurrection from the grave that made Jesus uniquely the kinsman redeemer we so desperately needed and need. Finally, the kinsman redeemer's accomplishments. Wow, things are happening fast starting in verse 13. The deal was sealed and the wedding was held. And my goodness, it says in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, hold it just a second. Last time I checked in the record, this woman had been barren for about 10 years. You're talking about taking some risk. But I believe Boaz was not only a man of prominence, a man of wisdom. I believe he was a man of faith. And I believe he knew in his heart that God had his hand on this whole situation. And he never doubted for a minute that God would bring forth an offspring. You understand the risk involved? Not only was the risk of not being able to carry on the name of Elimelech, but if he married Ruth and she's not able to bear him a son, guess what? His name is in jeopardy. But God took care of that. Verse 13. The Lord gave her conception. And she bore a child. No, she bore a son. Now, girls, please don't get upset. Don't be throwing that women's living stuff at me and feminism. I love all my sisters, okay? But in that culture, in that culture, it is vitally important that you have at least a son to carry on the family name. So God is doing it, and he's doing it upright. It didn't take long. It doesn't look like there was much time transpired there. You know, she may have come back to him a week after the honeymoon and said, Oh, Boaz. <laughs> we got little Boazes on the way. I don't know how, but God worked it. It's a miracle. Hallelujah. Listen, one of the accomplishments was they were going to be able to perpetuate the line of Elimelech and also Boaz's family as well. So Boaz's actions fulfilled Naomi's and Ruth's redemption. Do you remember how Naomi came back to Bethlehem? She was in despair. She was distraught. She was miserable. She was negative. She was saying, God hates me. He's cursed me. I don't have anything. Now, 
Things radically change because of the kinsman redeemer's actions. Look with me there in verse 14. Then the women, notice now, Naomi is back on the scene. A lot of this, remember, she's the matriarch of the family. Boaz is the patriarch, but she's the matriarch as the oldest woman. So there's, there's significance to this. Because it is her family name that is going to be carried on now. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a near kinsman, and may his name be famous in Israel. Could have been talking about Boaz there, but you'll see where it's almost alluding to the fact that maybe the child is the redeemer for Naomi. Got any grandmothers here today? Hey, how, how about great-grandmothers? Come on, ladies, don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to single you out. Because Naomi is going to be a grandma. You know how you were. You went a little bit crazy, didn't you? I mean, as soon as you got the news, hey, you're going to have a grandchild. Yeah, I know how it was for Jan, and it took me a while to bring her back down to earth. But <laughs> Naomi's about to get elevated here. In verse 15, And may he be your, to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, speaking of Ruth, who loves you, and that's true, who is better to you than seven sons. And in the Israelite family, if you had a boy, that's great. If you had a few boys, that's wonderful. But Lord have mercy. If you had up with seven boys, which incidentally Jesse did, as we see later, then that's almost the perfect family. My parents had eight boys, so we just went over the limit. <laughs> and look at verse 16. I love verse 16. Here's Naomi. Bitter, negative, dismal Naomi. And she's beaming like the sunshine. Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. You think that little boy was spoiled? Shoot. <laughs> also, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. That's not Naomi's baby, that's Ruth. But she's the matriarch. And she claims him just like is, is her son. And I guarantee you, she nurtured him. Oh, listen. Now, a lot was accomplished. But not only was it accomplished for Naomi and Ruth, but as we read further, you'll see that what the kinsman redeemer did there and, and of course Ruth's cooperation accomplishes a crucial step in God's great eternal plan. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying there's a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. Starting to ring a bell now. The father of David. Y'all recognize David. And it says this is the genealogy of Perez. And Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab. And Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. There's a gap of generations there. But they're showing you the line. It's following along just like God planned. And Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. God's got a plan. Tim brought this out in the message on genealogy. What a masterful plan it was that God would incorporate into the lineage of Abraham 
into the ancestry of one of the greatest kings Israel has ever known. God would filter in Canaanites, Hittites, Moabites, because he's saying, it's for all the people. My love, my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness, my son, my salvation is for all the people, groups of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, every nickel, every dollar you've given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes straight to our missionaries who are dealing with other ethnic groups all over the world. When you support the North American Mission Board, they are also, those North American missionaries are encountering ethnic groups who come to this country. Listen, America is a very blended country now, praise God. Because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our great and awesome kinsman redeemer, is for all people. Jesus secures our salvation. He is the ultimate kinsman redeemer because he is the one who paid the price to save us from the penalty of our sins. And back in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11, isn't it great that he would call us his brothers and his sisters? We're part of the family of God. You know, one of the greatest, I think, portrayals of the church is not as a religious institution, not even as a religious organization. I wish to God that we as Christians could capture the true essence of who we are as the body of Christ. We are the family of God. I'm not ashamed to put my arm around the shoulder of a brother or sister in Christ and say, this here is my brother. This here is my sister. And our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who loves us, made it all possible. Folks, Cornerstone, and if you're here from another church, listen, I encourage you. I implore you. Let's be family. Let's be the family of God. And let's look for every opportunity to share the good news of our Redeemer, kinsman Redeemer, and His blessed gospel message to every person out there. Peter nailed it in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 when he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. No other name. Never has been, is not, and never will be Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Praises His holy name.